Hello there, this is Mark Bauerline with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Kirby Anderson. He is the president of Probe Ministries and the host of the Point of View radio show. He's also a visiting professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's written many things. His books include Christian Ethics in Plain Language and A Biblical Point of View on Intelligent Design. He is here to discuss not a new book, but a survey conducted by Probe. Welcome, Mr. Anderson. Mark, great to be with you. I've enjoyed interviewing you, and I'm glad that you can turn the tables on me. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, question number one. First of all, uh, generally speaking, what is the survey that you do? Because this isn't well, the first of, version of this kind no. of survey. Yeah, that's probably good to go back to the history. Back in 2010, uh, we actually did a survey that was with hundreds and hundreds of what we would consider to be born-again millennials, those who be Generation Y. Why did we do that back then? Well, we do a lot of worldview apologetics kinds of issues, but we were noticing some really significant trends. And uh, the individual that was most responsible is Stephen Cable. And, of course, we've even got an article that we've co-printed and uh, published just a week ago in uh, Christian Post because we were wanting to just understand what was happening there. And so that's 10 years ago. Since that time, of course, we've published some books and other resources to look at other surveys in addition to that, the General Social Survey, the GSS surveys, mm -hmm. surveys by Christian Smith, Baylor, uh, George Barna, and others. Mm -hmm. So after 10 years, we did this most recent survey, which was looking at a broader group of individuals, 18 to 55, all religious persuasions, because it would give us, Mark, an opportunity then to uh, see what was happening over 10 years while we also compare it to some of the other surveys, but also to look at what we think is one of the more significant changes in our particular demographics, and that is the rise of the unaffiliated. Now, oftentimes they're referred to as the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Mm -hmm. They are those who, when they fill out the survey, put atheist, agnostic, or no preference. And we've seen that number increase dramatically. So we wanted to not only understand that, but then maybe also answer some of the kinds of myths and misconceptions people have about uh, where the whole religious philosophy is going, what uh, are the possibilities of reaching out to the next generation, what that's going to mean for churches and Christian organizations. So uh, we actually interviewed more than 3,000 individuals asking a lot of detailed questions. Mm -hmm. And frankly, over the next couple of months, we'll be releasing different aspects of the survey because there is so much data uh, that you can really do some very good correlations and evaluation of what's happening in America. You know, what, what you said a moment ago, let me ask about those, those options, the, the unaffiliated. What do you think is the nature of 
belief of those who say no preference. That they're 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 not they're not outright atheists. They're not self-declared agnostics. But they're they're not. Well, what are they? Well, what do you think? I mean, this this requires a little speculation on your part. But what do you think that that group is? Well, again, we ask them some questions. So uh, there are two extremes you don't want to fall into. One extreme, which I've seen some of the Christian authors say, oh, these people that say they're not affiliated, well, that's just maybe they're evangelicals, they're born-again Christians, uh, but they just can't find a church that they can go to. And, you know, I spend a fair amount of my time every year in the Northwest and the Northeast, and I'll be the first to admit that if you're looking for kind of a so-called Bible-teaching church, yeah, you may be not doing that. And so that's been the argument being used. But we can dig very deep into this. And one of the things that we find is that uh, these are individuals that even if they don't go to church, they also don't pray, they don't read the Bible uh, with any regularity. So I I think to say that they are no preference, meaning that, well, they're really Christians, but they just haven't found a church, that's not true. Mm -hmm. The other extreme is also wrong, and that is some people will argue that, well, these, these atheists, agnostic, no preference, these are people that have been reading Richard Dawkins, Samuel Harris, uh, maybe Daniel Dennett, Christopher yeah. Hitchens, and they're really, you know, they got their, their fists in the air and they're fighting with you. Now, I speak on college campuses. I know you've been on campus as well, and I run into some of those students. But what you find is neither of those extremes are uh, representing more than just a very fractional percent or two. What is happening in the middle are just a lot of individuals, um, which, we, again, I'll focus on the surveys that we did on the Generation Y, the Millennial Generation, and Generation Z, the so-called iGen Generation. They're just sort of apathetic. They just say, hmm. look, it's just, uh, you know, Christianity doesn't seem relevant to me. Um, and so I have really important questions that have surfaced because of the pandemic and the lockdown and the polarization and race relations and uh, even now maybe uh, the political uncertainty, the economic uncertainty. But I just don't think that the church or Christianity is the place to go to find the answers. And one of the phrases I use, matter of fact, I used it in a recent article is, you know, you've heard the old phrase, if you build it, they will come. Well, we built uh, 350,000 churches in this country. They're not coming. Hmm. Um, they aren't against it. They just don't think it's relevant. But if no. you can begin hmm. to connect what you are dealing with, your uncertainty, your anxiety, your sense of loneliness, you're looking for community with what the church can offer or what Christianity can offer, I think a good number of those individuals will come. So it isn't so much they're hostile to Christianity they just say, you know, I just don't really have a preference, and it really isn't meaningful to me in any significant way. Hmm. In your uh, breakdown of groups in the survey, how do you distinguish born-again Christians? What, what, what makes a Christian born again? Again, that's a question that we have used from the Barna surveys. I interview George Barna on a pretty regular basis, known him for decades. And so uh, if you can answer these two questions uh, affirmatively, then we will put you in the born-again category. Have you ever had made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that is still important to you? If you say yes, that's the first question. The second, what best describes your belief about what will happen after you die? And if they say something like, well, I'll go to heaven because I've confessed my sin and accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we put them in the born-again category. 
Now, we recognize that's not perfect, but again, we're talking about individuals that have made an experience, had a religious experience, made a commitment. It's still important to them today. And so we have used that same kind of series of questions because they've been so effective for the Barna Research Group. Now, George Barna is not with the Barna Research Group, he's with his own group, but uh, we find that if you ask that question, you do a pretty good job of that because then we ask all sorts of questions along the way, and those later on uh, get into uh, Christian worldview as well as biblical practice and a number of other things. And so we found that that's a pretty good way to identify the people that would be considered born-again Protestants. Okay. Uh, So in the latest survey, give us the first major finding. Well, the first finding, which I think I've already alluded to, is is that when you talk about this issue of the unaffiliateds, um, that number has gone up rather dramatically, that when you look at the general population of the younger generation, uh, what I call the emerging generation, it's gone from about 13% to about 35%. Hmm. And so, again, it's an illustration that you have more and more young people that are actually saying, you know, I just unaffiliate, which brings me to another myth, because some of the reasons we did this is we started reading books and seeing articles, and I think Christianity Today, and hearing speakers at conferences saying, oh yeah, well, we recognize, and you can, as a professor, can relate this as well, that by the time you graduate from high school, and then you go off to college, or maybe go in the military, go on to uh, the workforce, or whatever it might be, a very significant number of young people and the emerging generation tend to take a break from church. But the argument has always been, guess what? Over time, they will get married, they will have kids, and they'll think, you know, we really need to go back to church. Well, this survey, I think, illustrates only so well that since we can do a comparison from 2010 to 2020, and we can also look at other religious surveys like the General Social Survey, the GSS survey, we can say not only are they not coming back to church, but a higher percentage are actually unaffiliating with the church. And so that, I think, is due, first of all, to the fact that, like we said just a minute ago, the church doesn't seem relevant, but it also is based on a faulty premise. You know, I always love to use logic, because when people say they will come back to church, let's recognize that uh, the younger generation, a very significant number of them were never in church in the first place. So to suggest that they're going to be like the swallows to Capistrano come back again, um, they're not going to come back to church because they were never in church in the first place. And one of my illustrations is today I'm uh, talking to you from Dallas, but I've got a friend that worked at the Dallas Art Institute, and she was teaching art and architecture, a number of things. And what they do for architecture is go into a number of buildings. And she has said that when she brings her students into a building that's a church, lots of times you'll hear, sometimes the majority of them say, I've never been in church. Now, Mark, you think about that. That means I've never been to a Sunday school class. I've never been there for a wedding, never been there for a funeral. That's the first time I've been in a church. So this kind of this theory that, well, they're going to come back to church, well, that's not exactly what we're finding, and I think we can prove it statistically with not only our survey, but some of the other surveys that have come out over the last couple of years. Uh, Kirby, this is, this is uh, whatever the cause is, this is awful. It's just awful. I mean, it is disconnection. It's disconnection from God. It's disconnection from transcendence. It's disconnection from, from the past. It's disconnection from the culture. It's disconnection from from your inherit the inheritance of art and music and 
literature and the Sermon on the Mount. My goodness, this is, <laughs> this is, well, uh, let me ask you this. Well, right. I was just going to say for a minute, it's, it, it illustrates uh, the fact that this is why we have the dumbest generation in history. I think I've read a good book on that subject. And, and, and again, just think about this. I say this to non-Christians all the time when I speak on college campuses and when I interact with uh, non-believers, even uh, sometimes call into the program. I said, if you want to be an educated person, um, you at least need to know something about the Bible. I mean, how would you understand Western culture? How would you understand art and history and music? Uh, let's take English. There are so many illusions that are used in the great classical literature that you would not understand if you didn't have at least some level of biblical and cultural literacy. So your point's well taken, and it's a good one, and it's one of the arguments I use to begin to challenge somebody who is unaffiliated to at least consider what the Bible has to say and uh, to be a well-educated individual. Spend some time at least understanding what's in that book, because it not only affects your eternal salvation, it also helps you understand the Western world you find yourself in. Indeed. Now, you note that uh, Pew Research and others have found uh, declines. Nonetheless, did these numbers astonish you? Just, just the volume? A little bit, yes, because what we do, and we love the Pew survey, but they don't ask as many specific questions about religion. Yeah. And so maybe take it into one other thing that we found is that well, you were asking, of course, how we define someone who is born again. How do we define whether or not they have a Christian worldview? And again, we have found that in our previous survey and our most recent one, we use kind of the questions that George Barna has. Uh, we break them into two sets. He uses all six, and uh, now even um, those people at the Barna Research Group, like Dave Kenneman, use all six. But we look at just the four, first of all, and that is, do you believe there's a creator God? Do you believe the Bible is accurate? Do you believe that if a person is good enough, they will get into heaven, because that gets you into whether or not you're saved by grace or whatever? And then finally, um, about Jesus. And we find that even looking at that, the younger you are, the less orthodox you are in terms of some of those beliefs. If you add two more that are also asked, is Satan a real person, or do you believe in moral truths that uh, are true for everyone in all circumstances, basically absolute truth, that just drops off very significantly. So in some respects, when we're looking at the impact that this is having, we're seeing that not only outside the church, people that aren't coming, and maybe even some believers outside the church that just don't come to their local church, but even inside the church, we have a significant dropout and a drop-off on various kind of essential doctrines. Because when we talk about this as Christian worldview, this is kind of Sunday School 101. But very quickly, um, and we've got graphs and charts on our website, probe.org, and you can see if you you know look at those that are 40-something compared to those that are 30-something to those who are 18 to 29, basically the 20-somethings, the numbers drop off in every particular case. So the trend is not encouraging, and it's an illustration, again, that we have a level of of course, just, you know, functional illiteracy in the culture and cultural illiteracy, but even inside the church, we have a level of biblical illiteracy. And my application, real quickly, before we go on, is one of the arguments I make in many of our articles is that pastors just really have to assume that uh, the people in even their own congregation don't know some of the basics of the Christian life to assume that 
they have the same understanding that you have of Bible and theology from the pulpit is a mistake, and we have demonstrated that in another way because we started doing surveys of churches years ago. These are not national surveys, but we'll go into a just a church asking some of these just kind of biblical questions about uh, theology, biblical practice, and even then sex and gender and those kinds of things. And we found that even sometimes when the pastor is doing a good job of preaching the Bible, the harsh reality is it isn't necessarily always communicated uh, to the individuals, because communication is not only what you say, but what people hear and how they apply it. And the most uh, significant worldview, even of people within the congregation, is, if I can use a big word, syncretism, where they've uh, picked out some things that the pastor may have said, and they believe that, maybe read a few things in the Bible, but they've heard Oprah Winfrey say some things, and they've seen some others in websites, and pretty soon they have sort of a, if you will, almost a cafeteria theology, <laughs> and there's some places where they deviate rather significantly sometimes from Orthodox Christianity. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. You know, what you mentioned a few minutes ago, you talked about the, the indifference factor, the irrelevance. They don't seem to feel that they've lost something precious. No, no, no sense of an impoverishment of their lives because they've never been in a church, because they have no religious formation. And I think what happens is is that they feel the issue, but they don't connect it to the church. You can do a survey right now. Of course, there have been all sorts of secular surveys. Uh, is the level of anxiety higher than it's ever been before? Yes. Are individuals feeling more lonely than ever before, lacking community? Yes. Uh, so you can see that uh, for the Generation Y and Generation Z, um, and also you look at even the CDC statistics for the number that have committed suicide in the last year and other very significant social pathologies, that you are dealing with some very significant issues. But they feel that, but they don't see that it's necessarily connected to the church. In other words, I've got some real concerns. Now, I may feel like I'm doing pretty well and pretty successful. I'm thinking fewer and fewer feeling that way after a pandemic and a lockdown. If you spend hours on Facebook, you're going to be more depressed rather than less. But nevertheless, the bottom line is uh, they may or may not feel that. If they're really successful, they say, well, I don't need God. But even if they're not successful and they really have this kind of aching in their heart, they aren't necessarily thinking, I know, the best thing I need to do is pull up my Bible or turn on an online broadcast uh, or go to a church. Matter of fact, the middle one I mentioned actually is another significant way in which maybe there is an outreach because I'm not going to walk in the back of that church. You know, just imagine if I told you tomorrow that you had to walk in the church of you know a group that you thought was a cult. You wouldn't walk in that church. Um, well, if you have never been to that church or don't know anything about it, you're not going to walk into that church. But you might watch a service on 
online or you might watch a YouTube video that raises some of those questions. So I think the challenge is to connect the angst, anxiety, uh, problems, concerns, sense of loneliness, disconnection to what the Bible has to say. And if we can do that effectively, then I think we're going to see some remarkable changes. But uh, to assume that they're going to come into the church tomorrow because they have some of those feelings, probably not. Let me come back to the, the Satan question. Again, how many people believe in the reality, the concrete reality of Satan? And that number drops off precipitously because that's, uh, as I've said before, one of those kind of uh, particular questions that we found made a difference. And um, I, uh, this is one place where I probably have Steve Cable to pull that one out, but uh, I do remember that it gets you into, you know, more of the 10% kind of percentage uh, because when you ask people, do they believe in God or the Bible, those kinds of things, you know, you're sometimes in the 60 percentile. But one of the things that drops off is, of course, the issue of moral absolutes. Understand that. Yeah. But the one uh, that is about Satan, and that's one of the things we dealt with uh, 10 years ago, because once we did that survey of born-again millennials, we be put together a program, it's still available, and as a matter of fact, any church that wants to use it, called Periscope, the idea that you can kind of see above the waves. And Periscope was the idea that we really want to challenge the individuals, even inside the church, to kind of have what you might call an aha moment, to realize that some of the things they believed were not true. And so because we saw such a high percentage of that, this is a program that goes for seven weeks. You read a chapter a day in the book. We have videos, and everybody on the video is a young guy, not an old guy like me, you know, that are relating to them. But we actually did a whole week on that second week on Satan and spiritual warfare. Because think about this. If you don't believe that there's a spiritual battle, then you certainly aren't going to be prepared for that battle. If you don't believe that Satan is a real person, you're going to see everything is just a result of, you know, maybe randomness or evolution or whatever. Uh, also, you may not even necessarily believe in the existence of evil, per se. And so this, I think, is an important issue to uh, address. And it was one of those two issues that we identified that were kind of watershed issues, uh, that you can probably on the first four, believing in God and the Bible, and even salvation and Jesus, probably most people are pretty good on that, although even those percentages are pretty shocking when you start asking what your perception of God is. Mm -hmm. But the real drop-off comes when you talk about whether or not there is anything that is always wrong. There's something that's true for everyone, everywhere, at all times. In other words, the idea of absolute truth. And the other one on Satan, which again, I think, affects your whole view of whether or not there is evil in the world. Why is there evil in the world? How do we address evil? But more importantly, uh, is there even a battle of taking place, a spiritual battle that you're completely unaware of? And so that's why we focused on our Periscope material with the videos and the music done by a Dove award-winning artist and all sorts of other material to have that in the church and get people even inside the church who maybe were saved, they're born again, but they did not have a biblical worldview because some of these beliefs are ones that they have really adopted from the world rather than from what they find in the Bible. Yeah, I mean, we've got to tell them, especially the young, look, if you come to church, your life will be better. We're not guaranteeing you'll be happier, but your life will be better. That, that, that they have to be told this uh, over and over, because as you said, they're not doing so well. Young people are not content.
right now. The anxiety levels, the, 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 the depression levels, the suicide, as you, as you said. Now, you, 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 you call the 50% drop among born-again Christians a, quote, startling degradation. Uh, what are the causes there? What do you think? Well, first of all, they uh, maybe aren't necessarily getting good Bible teaching, so let's be honest there. But So I want to blame the pastors a little bit there. Yeah. But at the same time, sometimes the pastors can be doing a good job and people aren't listening. Uh, a good example is we did a survey not so far from where I'm broadcasting here, and um, this pastor is also a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And um, yet when we did the survey, we were struck by uh, the number of individuals that did not have a biblical worldview. Now, to be fair to him, there had been a tornado in one of the nearby towns that was um, actually destroyed like a Methodist church. There are a fair number of people in the church that had not been in the church for a long time, so part of that is the case. But even so, you have to think, Mark, about the fact that a pastor has this daunting task. I am trying with a one-hour sermon yeah. to try to counteract, counteract 15 hours in front of a screen every single day. I'm not just talking about the computer screen or the video screen or a television screen or a movie screen, but most importantly, the screen on your phones. And so, you know, 15 hours a day sometimes. Now I've seen some that are in the 10-hour number, depending on whether you look at the Kaiser Family Foundation surveys done a number of years ago. But um, certainly a tremendous amount of time in front of a screen getting that information that is affecting your worldview, and you've got to counteract that with a one-hour sermon. I mean, guess who wins? So there's some reasons for that. And one of the things that we have surfaced, and George Barna, at his work there at Arizona Christian University of Service, so we're all agreeing on this, is that a lot of individuals that go to church, if you try to assess their worldview, there are some that would have an orthodox Christian view. There may be a few skeptics even sitting in the back there that hold to maybe kind of the uh, atheistic view, but they're coming just to, you know, they're kind of seeing what you're all about. But a very significant majority of them have this syncretistic view. And we began to discover that uh, 12 years ago when we first did that survey in 2010 because we found that if you were to look at just the born-again evangelicals, uh, we found that they broke really into three categories. You had one-third that have a biblical worldview and attend church. You had one-third that did not have a biblical worldview but did attend church and then one-third that did not have a biblical worldview and did not attend church. And so if you look at that middle group there, you see that essentially even then we were finding that when you were looking at just the millennial generation, and now that number is even higher, but just even going back to 2010, you had about half and half, half the people in the church, uh, that would, and when you talk about regular church attendance, let me also hasten to say that means you go to church two out of four Sundays, hmm. which is not exactly regular, but that's the, those are the numbers that are used. So we use the same numbers as GSS and Barn and everybody else. But even if you use that, you're still dealing pretty much with half and half, half that have a biblical worldview and half that do not. So we recognize that not only should we be paying attention to those outside the church, but even inside the church, there's a real need to address those issues. And again, you ask for why. Well, I think the obvious one is. There is so much media input. The uh, younger generations live in a media storm, and the Generation Z, they're the first digital natives. They have never lived in a world where there's not 
an mm-hmm. iPad and an iPhone or those kinds of things. And so they probably don't want to study history because, after all, I can look it up on Google. They're not real big on learning math because, after all, I've got a calculator and I've got a phone. Why do I need all that kind of stuff? And so they also tend to be fairly apathetic, as you can speak to as a professor, about education in the first place. But most importantly, uh, you can understand why you're dealing with this problem inside the church. And if you're concerned about the future of the church, recognizing that these are going to be your future leaders. They're going to be the future leaders in the church, pastors, elders. They're going to be the future leaders in business, CEOs and COOs. They're going to be leaders eventually running for Congress and even for the presidency. And they're a very different world and a very different generation of the ones that preceded them. Yeah. This calls for maybe a little bit of anecdotal response, but you've got affiliated parents there are more affiliated parents than affiliated children. Uh, do you have evidence or knowledge of affiliated parents being deeply dismayed by the unaffiliation of the young? Oh, sure. And that one's easy to, again, both an anecdote. When I first joined Probe years ago, we had a little brochure that said, when your kids go off to college, will they lose their faith? And of course, um, over now, since I joined 1976, so now then 40 years worth of this, we've had stories and anecdotes like that. But interestingly enough, in our surveys, and I'll go back to the 2010 one, because we ask even more questions about you and your parents, we were saying, okay, when we dealt with some of these individuals that now really don't have an orthodox biblical worldview, we wanted to know, did your parents have them? And, uh, of course, in many cases, you saw that they were affiliated. Now the kids are unaffiliated. We saw one striking exception, and you can appreciate that being on a college campus. We sometimes found individuals that came from a family that weren't necessarily Christian, and yet these individuals were very strong Christians, and they almost to a person pointed to the fact that when they got to college, they got involved with a group that encouraged them to consider the claims of Jesus Christ, encouraged them to uh, begin to live according to biblical principles, and they became very strong. And of course, if you then ask them specifically, well, they were involved with a group uh, back then, it was Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, InterVarsity, Baptist Student Union, Wesley Foundation, or maybe they uh, had a friend that invited them to a church that was a, a local campus church that was uh, talking about biblical ideas. So we did see some really interesting things where not only had individuals who grew up in a church where their parents were affiliated that then left the church, but we found the other side, which was intriguing as well, of those who maybe just grew up in a family that were nominally Christian or maybe not even Christian at all, who then became Christians and actually had a very dynamic faith and were part of that one-third that to have a biblical worldview and also go to church. Those are signs of optimism, for optimism yes. then. So to what degree do you think that Christian leaders should maybe get a little more aggressive against secular or liberal politics and politicians. I mean, young people want to hear strength, right? They're drawn to conviction. They're entering the world, you know, college the first time, leaving home, and they, they want to see stability and foundations, even as something that might rebel against, but at least it would make their, meaning, their rebellions meaningful meaningful in some way. 
do you think uh, uh, a little bit more adversarial posture on the part of the Christian leaders would be effective? It seems to me that's kind of what I argue for, and even in our recent article we talked about, first of all, pastors need to not assume that your congregation necessarily is thinking biblically, but then you're going to have to think of the fact that they're not going to come inside the church, you need to go to them. So that could be small group Bible studies, that can be online. Um, It's interestingly enough, you know, we used to think of the Billy Graham Crusades as, you know, open-air evangelism, but you look at what's happening, for example, with people like Greg Laurie and a variety of others, uh, they are bringing out a younger generation to stadiums and open-air events and those kinds of things where we're going out to them, taking stronger stands on these issues and explaining why. Because, again, a lot of young people say, you know, what's the point of church? You know, if you're going to be doing the Me Tooism stuff, and I'm just kind of like everybody else, well, why, why should I even bother to get up on a Sunday morning, or why should I affiliate with you if there's really no difference between you and the world? But if you're taking some stands, some of which are controversial, because, again, this is a generation that, first of all, wonders whether or not the Bible is true and Christianity is true. They also wonder whether or not Christianity is good because they're hearing from the atheists, for example, that, well, these Christians, they have these uh, archaic ideas about human sexuality and a variety of others. But if you can make your case for what that is and take in a stand, I think people, and young people especially, are attracted to this, and they're attracted to community. They're attracted to, I know this is a buzzword, authenticity. You look at those churches that have been growing, lots of times they're run by Gen Xers or Millennials that are pastors who are very authentic and are, are relating very well to them. And, of course, you know, words like authentic and relevant are kind of buzzwords, but they're also true. And I think that's what a generation is looking for, somebody that I can believe in, somebody who seems to be speaking truth, and somebody that I need to get behind because I want to follow them. We'll have a link to the survey on the website, and we want to thank Kirby Anderson for joining us. Well, thank you. Again, probe.org is a place to find all that material, and uh, I have nothing else, Mark. I appreciate being with you today. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.